Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Joining me here, Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. Matt, are you enjoying the WBC? Because I know I've really been enjoying the WBC. Last night's game between the Netherlands and Puerto Rico was awesome. The, the first two innings of that may have been like my favorite two-inning span of any baseball game like for the last five years. And I learned awesome. there, there's a surprising amount of love for Vladimir Blentin out there because I like tweeted out this mammoth homer that he hit in uh, Great American Ballpark, his last major league game, in fact, in 2000, October 2nd, 2009, that went like an estimated five. This was pre-StatCast. Yeah. Went an estimated 500 feet, which, by the way, I believe you, was in the ballpark of 500 feet, um, and it got an insane number of retweets and replies of people being like, I remember that, I can't believe it, amazing. That's uh, entirely because I retweeted it, I think. Probably. So we have a fun show today because, you know, our big thing we've been talking about for the last couple weeks uh, is catch probability, along with hit probability. And we've been really excited about the WBC because we wanted to kind of see this, this theoretical thing we've come up with live. And one thing we said when we catch probability came out is that it measures how far the outfielder has to go to get to the ball and the opportunity time, which is the time from the ball leaving the pitcher's hand to where its projected landing point was. And as we said, right now it doesn't account for the direction the fielder has to run or uh, potential wall balls or home run robberies. And of course, what's the enduring image of this WBC so far? Adam Jones making a fantastic catch, taking a ball away from his teammate Manny Machado. So I thought it'd be really interesting to kind of dig into some of the numbers there and you know talk about why the, the catch probability was actually really high on that, higher than I think people would be happy about. And then, you know, I think we are going to talk about the numbers, but we're also hopefully smart enough to know what we don't know. And what neither Matt or I know is what it's like to actually be on the field and try to catch one of these balls. So we actually have two major league outfielders who are going to join us on the show today. Uh, they both have World Series experience. They've been in the biggest moments. So we're really excited about that. We're going to have Ryan Spielberg's on. We're going to have Fernando Perez on. But first, Matt, let's just talk about this play, right? So this is Adam Jones the other night. Set the, set, let's set the scene Let's for set a the stage. All right. It's the USA versus the Dominican Republic, right? It's the bottom of the seventh. There's nobody out. USA is up 4-2, so it's a very big spot in the game, right? Manny Machado comes up. Manny Machado destroys the baseball, 106 miles an hour, 26 degrees. That's a 95% hit probability. This ball is projected to go 407 feet. He crushes it to just right of dead center at Petco Park. Now, you've seen the play most likely. Adam Jones needs to go 98 feet, covered 100 feet, so a really very efficient route, and he had six seconds of hang time to do it. And he makes an amazing catch. And some of the still photos that have come out of this have just been phenomenal. Because it's like right in front of the WBC logo and all the USA fans behind him. It's really like, it's an enduring moment for like a ton of different reasons. Uh, but the catch probability here, we had it at 93%. Now, I, again, a little unfair. We're not accounting for the wall yet. So that's too high. We know that. But that's not going to come down to like 5%. And I think that's what people kind of expect it should be, maybe based on just like the game situation, right? Yeah, to, to kind of get where that 93% comes from, just a reminder, I think I used this analogy last week. Like imagine a little league field or a softball field where there's no fence and no fans. If they weren't there and Adam Jones could just keep going, it's a pretty easy catch. I mean, on the play, and this is part, the other aspect of the play is um, essentially what catch probability is measuring is feet per second like how fast were you going because uh, it's you know it's distance traveled in feet opportunity time in seconds is a combination of the two things and on the play he was going like about like what was it like 23 24 feet per second which is like Billy Hamilton his top speed is like 30 to 31 feet per second so exactly. this is not like an insanely fast run I mean, he did what he needed to do to get to the ball but you're right when you look at it it's not going at top speed it's more about the timing it's more about the exactly jump. and those are the things that aren't accounted for even in addition to the wall um, and direction, even that, the timing is something that like 
I'm not sure what we're going to really properly be able to account for. Yeah, oh, and it's two things. It's that, but then it's also to me, and this is what I'm really excited to ask these, these two outfielders about is, is it about skill or is it about an opportunity? Because right, you have to have very specific conditions to be able to rob a ball, right? It's got to be a ball that's got enough hang time that you can get there. It's got to not be so far that it's like a 500-foot blast that you're never going to get to. And not only that, it's got to be at a part of the wall where the wall is not going to be like 37 feet high. You can't do this at the Green Monster, right? So I actually looked at all 30 ballparks from last year, and uh, if you look at each of them have five points, so say right down the lines to each side, dead center, and down the power alleys, um, and I kind of looked at 10 feet as sort of the, the barrier point, where like 10 feet seems like maybe you could catch it. Above 10 feet, you're probably not going to be able to catch it. Uh, and 36% of these points are higher than 10 feet. So maybe like a third of these ballpark points, you're not going to be able to really have a chance to do it. In some of these parks, like in Toronto, it's high all the way around. You know, obviously, uh, Boston and left field, you're not going to be able to rob it. So it's really about, is it skillful play? Yeah, sure, Adam Jones made a very skillful play. But is it also just about having the opportunity? And going back to Adam Jones for a second, notoriously a shallow center fielder, right? Last year, uh, 307 feet from home play, it was his average. That was tied for the shallowest center fielder on this play. 321 feet. That extra 14 feet made a huge difference for him because he was closer to the wall. The it first. certainly gave him like extra time to kind of line up the catch, you know, and get himself in position to 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 time his his leap correctly. You know, you wonder maybe it's his teammate. He knows Machado. He's sort of giving his teammate, or his major league teammate, obviously not his teammate sure. in this game. You know, a little bit of uh, extra respect. And you know, for a little bit more context on that, for example, you know, we said Jones was tied with Andrew McCutcheon for the shallowest center field last year, 307 feet. Uh, among regular center fielders, Ian Desmond, I believe, was the deepest at 329 feet. So that's a big, you know, that's 22. That's a pretty big gap. And even as deep as as deep as Jones is playing, which is extremely deep for him, I think you said it was um, the ninth deepest starting point he's made on a putout in the last two years. That's a uh, second percent. Though. They, yeah. This is not a place he usually plays. So even that playing, was. So go ahead. I would say if he plays at his normal spot, what does that catch look like? Or is it not a catch? Is that a dinger? That's what I would like to know. Um, the catch probability would look would look more would look more impressive. Let's talk to actual big league outfielders about this. I'm really excited that we'll get to Ryan Spillbergs. But first, a reminder, um, please listen to the Fantasy 401 podcast. It's one of our favorite MLB.com podcasts. If you want to win your fantasy league, Fred Zinke and Matthew Leach will cover all the bases, give you the edge over your friends. doesn't matter what kind of format you play. They've been there. They've won that. They can help you win, too. Last couple weeks, they've been doing position-by-position breakdowns. Uh, so make sure you listen. Follow the Fantasy 401 podcast on iTunes today. Matt, let's talk to some big leaguers. Sounds good. So as Matt and I said, we actually need the opinion of a professional outfielder. So that's who we have on the phone with us here. Ryan Spielborgs, who's one of my favorite people in baseball, uh, started uh, nearly 500 major league games for the outfield, or for the Rockies as an outfielder, started three games in the 2007 World Series, and is now a broadcaster for the Rockies Broadcast Network. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Mike, for, for that nice introduction. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So we figured we needed someone who's actually gone out and robbed home runs and jumped over the wall. And uh, you were kind enough to let me know that you'd actually done it twice. So I went out and I found the images, uh, which I, I think you saw. And I thought they were both interesting. They were both kind of right down the line uh, over relatively short walls, right? I mean, when you were making a play like that, did you think to yourself, you know, I made a great play or it's so cool I got the opportunity to make this play? Because we're kind of going back and forth on, on whether these things are more skill versus chance. Um, yeah, it's funny that you, you put it like that. I mean, I know when... When I made those plays, I thought, hey, I made a really cool play. Uh, you, you know, like anytime you rob a home run, you think, wow, I was at the right place at the right time. I think I positioned myself well, and you steal it. And, I mean, obviously, I can't. And I don't know if 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 I jump really, really high. I think I had maybe like a 20-inch vertical. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like, 
looking at it, I, I think the plays look better than maybe what they were. Maybe they were better than what they look. I don't know. But I, I do think that there is a, a level of um, opportunity there. I mean, if if it wasn't a low fence, I'm not robbing that home run. So, And if it wasn't down the line, it's really hard for a center fielder to rob homers. That's actually kind of rare. Um, I feel like the corners are a little bit easier. You see probably a little bit more of the robbing from, from a corner outfielder, um, especially anybody going straight back. I think Gary Matthews Jr. had that ridiculous home run rob in dead center, and, and that was still probably considered one of the greatest catches of all time. But, um, you know, World Series or was it Andy Chavez robbing the home run for the for the Mets? That was in the NLCS. It's definitely a corner. So um, I think you're right. I think there's more opportunity than, than actually making just a marvelous catch. Well, I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought up this, the one point. So you played all three spots in the outfield uh, during your career. And, you know, you just sort of mentioned that the balls that are straight back uh, are more difficult, right? Because we were looking at the Adam Jones play here. And he didn't actually go straight back. He kind of went on almost like a 45-degree angle, uh, you know, a little bit to, to right center. And it was actually to his glove side, right? I mean, he's a, a, right, a right-handed outfielder. And so when he turned, the ball was, you know, to his, his glove side. You've probably seen both of those. We we're kind of going back and forth on this. That's, is that easier? And if so, like how much? Like how much does it matter which side of you as an outfielder that's going to be on? Um, I think on, on both of my catches, they're, they're opposite. So one is a... You know, I'm going to my, my throwing side. I'm going to my right, um, and then I jump. And then the other one, I'm taking an awkward angle because that one is kind of – I was in right field for one of the catches in Washington and ended up having to catch it on my glove side, but it was more over the shoulder. And, and that one was pretty difficult as well. I think when, you, when you're watching these, the angle does make all the difference. That's why, it's, that's why I'm saying the corner guys have a little bit more of an opportunity to do it. Um, versus and, and granted, center field still they rob plenty of balls, but I just feel like the corner corner outfielders typically play a little bit deeper, um, and it's a little bit easier. It doesn't really matter. I think the easier way to jump is with your throwing arm facing the wall, so you can use that that arm as as leverage. You can use it to grab the wall and pull yourself up. The opposite way, the way Adam Jones did it, is actually a little bit more difficult. Because that glove, that glove hand, um, we we like to put it out and feel where the wall is. So he's just kind of trusting his instinct there and making his leap. Now, as a as an outfielder, is it you know comparing a play like that at the wall? Do you think that that's a more difficult play than like you know in that instance, it's a, a play where maybe he didn't have to run his fastest, but he had to kind of deal with the wall and kind of like understand his proximity and time is jump. Do you think that's a tougher play than when you just basically have to go all out into the gap, hit your top speed and sort of maintain um, awareness? Like what do you think is kind of a, what do you think is a tougher play to make? Huh. That's really difficult to say. I, I mean, I think when you are tracking a baseball and there's so many elements, I don't think people understand. Number one is depending on time of day, you know, your backdrop, if it's a high sky, if it's, overcast if you're at dodger stadium it's really difficult to see the baseball so getting the initial jump and then we're talking about looking at the baseball through the different levels of the stadiums you know second level third level so you can lose the baseball in the seats and then there's the the audio sound of people screaming and so you're taking all these into account while you're tracking a baseball 
And then when you have no real gauge, knowing that you're potentially about to crash into the wall, because now you're having to check and look at the baseball and look at where the ceiling, where the root, where the wall is. So that I mean, there's just a lot of elements involved for the athlete to track the baseball. Whereas there's times where you don't have to ever take your eye off the baseball, a hard, hard line drive in the gap where you can just run and you know you're not going to crash into any wall is a little bit easier. Um, even though you can say that there's the element of maybe running into another outfielder presents an issue for you. But as far as like sensory overload on a ball like Adam Jones's baseball, that one pretty much has all of the criteria for making it extremely difficult on so many different levels. That's a that's an, a fascinating point because we've been thinking about this like people want this to be you know the best play ever because all the story is so cool right it's like you're wearing USA on your chest the pictures that came out are awesome and it's, it's you know your own regular season teammate of all people who hit the ball and these are all really cool parts of the story but I guess I never really thought about it like that just like of everything else that's going on around you like the fans are right there you hear them and it kind of like just overload like your senses like Ryan said yeah right? to me that was actually the toughest part of the catch is sort of the you know a lot of the modern ballparks are built kind of with a um like almost like a five-foot buffer zone where fans, it makes it really hard for fans to be right up against the outfield wall. But this one, no, the fans are right up against the fence. So they, they're having to contend with the Jeffrey Mayer wannabes uh, was probably the, the most difficult part of the catch as far as I, from, from where I was sitting. This is why we have people with experience on because I feel like I learned something here. All right, Ryan, the million-dollar question here is you're playing center field. Uh, you have a ball that's got a, a relatively decent hang time. We had a six-second hang time on this. Do you make that play? Do you make the exact same play that Adam Jones did? Oh, man, I, I would love to say yes and that I, I make that play. Um, I mean, every outfielder would like to say yes, they, may, they make that play. I think watching it, knowing what my range was, um, maybe I shaded differently. I mean, I – Obviously, as a competitor, we're always going to say yes. Um, but I, I think, I think it, when you look at what he's able to do and the type of athlete that he is, there's a percentage chance that I, at least not in the graceful way that he made it look, or the spectacular ways that he made it look. I mean, I'm, I had a pretty uh, unspectacular way of making things look unspe- unspectacular. So, um, uh, well, well, how about how about? I would say I would say yes. I could make that catch, but. Um, maybe not to the extent where it looked like, like Adam Jones did it. Of the, of the thirty, you know, everyday center fielders in baseball right now, just curious in your opinion, you know, how many do you, what, what, how many of those do you think make make the catch? Uh, I would say pretty much all of them would expect to make it. That's, I mean, that's just how we all think. So I, I would, <laughs> I would assume all thirty expect to make that catch. Now, do all thirty make it? I probably doubt it. Um, the only guy that probably catches it like really easy is probably uh, Kevin Kiermaier, uh, just given the fact that he flies, and same with Billy Hamilton. But um, regardless of whether all 30 guys could do it, it was still, like we said, uh, the moment, everything about the catch, how it was set up against Machado, against his teammate, the, the timing of it, it, it makes it remarkable. And, uh, no matter what, like everybody in baseball is in awe of that catch. Oh, I, I like we said. I think even if the data doesn't necessarily tell the story people want it to, just like the catch itself, 
it's still an unbelievable catch for all of the reasons that we've talked about. And, and also, I think what Ryan helped us add is just really like what you're, what you're actually hearing and seeing around you. So that's really cool to me. Um, Ryan, thanks so much for your time. Follow Ryan Spielberg's at SpillyGoat19. He is on the Colorado Rockies broadcast uh, along with Drew Goodman, I think one of my favorite broadcast teams in baseball. Ryan, really appreciate it today. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Matt. Hope to see you guys soon. We've got another professional outfielder that we need to talk to, and this is actually a friend of the show, uh, Fernando Perez, who was a big part of our MLB Plus broadcast last year. Played nearly 1,000 professional games, spent some time in the majors with the Rays. Uh, started two games in out the outfield in the 2008 ALCS, stole second base as a pinch runner in the World Series in 2008, and he's joining us on our show here because we need some outfielder opinions on the Adam Jones catch to kind of talk about what it actually feels like to be out there and, you know, whether the numbers we're coming up with kind of make sense. So, Fernando, thanks for joining us. What did you think when you first saw that Adam Jones play? Um, first, beautiful. Um, love the stats. Love trying to figure out what's going on. But definitely one of these moments that it looked amazing and there's um you know sometimes with all the stops it's like we forget how elegant some of these plays look and that was it was gorgeous the photos gorgeous um it's really fascinating like it's the you know the best catch possible um would probably end up being what like a perfect efficiency uh route efficiency but you know the ball might be say like a foot too far away for that guy to make that play. So when we say a guy made a good effort, um, he might have run, say, like a 92% route and then dove at the end and then seemed to be in pain after, you know, running this route after he dove. And, you know, we say good effort, but now I guess, you know, obviously we can, we can test that. Um, so, you know, I don't know what the numbers looked like, but um, the, the thing that I just wanted to bring up is that you know, when the ball is first hit and you're going back or you're going forward, like the first few movements, um, they can't, they shouldn't necessarily be perfectly efficient. The first step quickness is very fascinating because like how, how quickly you're getting going is important, yet there's a little bit of wiggle room there because there are some outfielders that'll say to stick and hang in there for like a split second while the ball is hit to really see it. And so that's something that is kind of people go back and forth with on training. So if the first cue for me is to go back, I'm going to run a banana route. That may not be perfectly efficient. So, you know, in a lot of ways, I mean, it's sort of in a roundabout way explain that a perfect, you know, a perfect efficient, a perfectly efficient route may not be um, possible in some cases. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. Now, in this case, he actually came pretty close. He needed to go 98 feet, uh, and he ran 100 feet. So that's that's pretty close. But I think what was interesting to me is, you know, when you get to that center field wall in Petco, the wall there is only seven feet high, and I think Adam Jones is just a little bit over six feet. So all things considered, it's not a very high wall, and that means in a lot of other parks, there's just, you know, if it's in a different part of the park where the wall is 15 feet high, 20 feet high, there's no prayer to catch it. So what we're really trying to get to is, when you see a catch like that, obviously Adam Jones did everything he was supposed to. He did a phenomenal job. But is that a catch that's more about Adam Jones doing something that very few other outfielders can do or just getting the opportunity, like the perfect ball and the perfect spot in front of the perfect wall? Do you know what I mean? Well, um, one thing that I don't know, and it's kind of cool to just sort of like say a bunch of things blindly and have you have all of the like numbers <laughs> Great, and like no where pressure. you were standing, et cetera. <laughs> but so here's, here's one thing. Um, something that got really huge in the 90s um, was playing this really deep outfield. And so it made for amazing content, right? We were always always seeing these guys robbing home runs that were playing really, really deep outfields. 
Whereas on the other hand, um, you know, the, what a lot of pitchers told me, they're like, look, I want you to play really, really shallow because I'm trying to jam these guys and make them hit these crappy balls in front of you. And I want you to catch those. If I let a guy hit a ball 400 feet, that's my fault. Like, I don't, I just want you to collect it and throw it back to second base. So if you're playing a really deep center field, robbing those balls um, is a lot easier. Now, I don't know where necessarily he was playing. Another side note, um, you know, that fence, negotiating that fence um, is a lot easier than obviously negotiating a lot of others. From, uh, um, you know, a selling tickets standpoint, um, I don't understand why you would not have a fence like that or like the fence at Camden Yards in center and left field because you have the opportunity to make all of these incredible plays. Um, you know, like my, so many of Mike Trout's greatest plays, like we have to think, um, you know, Anaheim's fence and like, you know, uh, Camden Yards, um, their fence. So it, did, did I hit the answer there well, roughly? I would say you did. And I, by the way, I have the numbers in front of me. Baltimore's fence in center field, seven feet. Anaheim's fence in center field, eight feet. Uh, you know, you're absolutely right. Like in Wrigley, it's 11 feet. In Arizona, it's 25 feet. Um, but you actually hit on, on two interesting things. One is that I want to totally confirm what you're talking about. And we kind of brought this up earlier, but for your benefit, Adam Jones was playing 14 feet deeper than his average. So he was way closer to the ball. Uh, but what was interesting, and we cannot measure this, unfortunately, do you think that outfielders as a whole played deeper in the 90s and, and therefore can make these catches and kind of have moved in over the years? You know, uh, again, fun playing the blind baseball player. Uh, saying we don't have 90s game. data, so <laughs> you can basically <laughs> say whatever. Okay, well, it, it, I, this is a game that I love. And like I said, I, was, I met a whole bunch of, um, I met Dave Cameron and all of these like super smart stat dudes. Um, at the winter meetings, and I sort of off the cuff once said that, you know, it's really hard to hit in Durham, and they, like, all checked some database to, like, make sure that I was correct, and it was, it was correct. I would, I would really believe that. Um, it, it's, it's something, you know, when I was coming up, uh, Cam Bonifay said to me, he drew, you know, an arc around the outfield, and and um, he said, I want you to always be playing inside of this arc. I almost want you to be playing even with the center field, with the left fielder and the right fielder when you're playing center field because of your foot speed. And so, you know, I realized what that meant is like when I was making plays at the wall, I was basically running into it. It was very, it was very, very dangerous, but there weren't that many plays there. The, the pitchers were very, very happy when I was, you know, saving all of these, you know, little dying quails and stuff like that that were sort of falling between, um, you know, the, the second baseman and the shortstop. But what's really interesting about right now is, you know, by defensive positioning, you know, Adam Jones, you're saying, is playing very, very deep. Right now, you can look and see over the course of that game how that helped the team or didn't help the team. I would be, I would say, like in the World Baseball Classic, you're, you know, you're always looking at the, you know, the, the wind and things like that. But in the World Baseball Classic, um, a lot of balls were getting barreled um, on a very regular basis. There were a lot of guys out there that, you know, um, especially until later on, it was quite like a winter ball um, feel out there where you had a lot of pitchers coming in early that weren't throwing so hard, like balls were getting hit hard. And then later on, the game slowed down. You had all of these great relievers coming. But when guys are barreling the ball, so much. I think it's right to play deep. I mean, you're always changing it, but we can look right now and say, you know, Adam Jones playing so deep, um, 
because of just the randomness of the batted ball today, it helped his team. So it helped his team that he was that he was standing where he was and was able to make this play. Whereas, like, if he was standing four or five feet in, he wouldn't have made that play. One small thing that can also change that is that, you know, there's this idea that we can smell a hit or smell a great play and run faster. Um, that feels true. Not sure if you can necessarily test that with data. It feels true. If he was five feet in, would he have still made the play? Could it have just, and would it maybe have looked like the, the play that uh, Gary Matthews Jr. made or something like that? You don't, you don't um, really know. But interestingly enough, you can test like, you know, his positioning, what it did for um, the, you know, his ability to, to make plays on the balls hit in that game that day. Now, uh, Fernando, on this play, it was hit over Jones's uh, left shoulder, which means he was able to pursue it with his glove on his glove side. Does that make it easier for an outfielder to make that kind of catch because he has that much more reach? Um, some guys. Um, so one thing that that is always said is that you, because of the weight on your hand, if you think about your glove like a weight, you're always going to run to that side. Uh, quicker. I've heard that before, right? That it's that guys go back a little bit faster to their left than to their right. But also guys are weird. Like I have a weird neck. And so I went back to one way, you know, I went back better, you know, one way than, than the other. Um, you know, as I kind of continued to, to teach the game and stuff, I always picked up different things about you know, about um, going back and the little subtleties in, in differences. Something like if you are a youth player and you're listening to this, um, something that outfielders don't really work on very, very much until higher, higher levels is, is running sideways like that, which is, you know, outfielders are always doing it and they never work on it. So it's like if you're a you know, 14-year-old outfielder listening to this, you know, when you're running your sprints before the game, um, run like an outfielder and change directions, like the quick head head turn that you have to do that, you know, a guy like Adam Jones just does naturally while blowing bubbles and, you know, keeping his head still. Um, this is basically the reason that so many balls drop, um, you know, in, in every other level of baseball. Yeah, I mean, one, one storyline actually that sort of, that relates to this, we've talked about a lot recently, is Andrew McCutcheon, who the data shows actually is much better going back to his uh, throwing arm, to his throwing side, to his right side. So, you know, it actually contradicts maybe the idea that it's not obvious which, uh, which, which hand you go back. It's not one size fits all. Exactly. I guess. So that's really interesting the way Fernando put it. So, Fernando, let me ask you a question. You're standing in your normal spot in center field. What ball do you think you personally are going to have a better chance at getting? Like a high hang time ball that's just over the wall that you got to run back and, and jump over the wall for? Or like a sinking liner on the move that's, you know, 30 feet in front of you? What, like what personally for you is like I have a better chance of catching one over the other? Um, for me, um, I was better at the balls coming in. Um, I then ended my career diving for a ball coming in. So after that point, uh, I would say going back to the wall because, uh, you know, I had a little bit of uh, apprehension um, going to make that play. But until that point, I made that play 
um, very well. And the key there, which is something that um, I sort of intuited over time. I mean, this has been a thing I was working on another, you know, project today about baseball where, you know, we were just testing this idea that are things intuitive? Do you really just need the baseball games to learn these things or what things can just be taught to you? It's a, a mixture of both. But something that I learned about playing the outfield is just being, um, you know, not only what I mentioned, just that hanging for one second, just that split second of not moving and seeing the ball, but being really low when you're for whatever reason. And, you know, I would say 90% of outfielders would back me up on this for whatever reason, when you're low, when the line drive comes, you have a better ability to see what it's doing, because this is another thing where, you know, it has like late movement, just like pitches do. Um, you have to realize like as you climb up the ladder and you see these guys throwing these freak pitches that nobody in the world can hit, but then you have these people that can actually hit them and they can hit them with verve and they can, they can, you know, hit these balls so hard. You can see balls that take like left turns and right turns. So, you know, it's, um, you know, you make your sort of like your conservative banana route. And then like when you attack it, you're, you're still just waiting for the late movement to come. I mean, sometimes, like, you know, Gary Sheffield one time in spring training, he hit a ball. Um, he hit a ball that was like, a, it like knuckled. You know, it's like terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's the worst, worst thing ever. But I've made that play always a little bit better. I think that um, what's hard for younger players and where older players have the advantage is they're playing in, in at fields that they've played at a, a lot. So at this point, you know, Adam Jones for the last 10 years is a veteran you know, gold glove outfielder. He's been playing in the same feet, the same, you know, fields for 10 years. It's very, really, really valuable. He knows them really, really well, no matter how much you go out there and you throw balls off the wall and you, you know, measure your steps, et cetera. It's still a little foreign to you. If you think about being a more average, you know, middle of the road to scrubby player like myself, you're always going to all of these different stadiums, learning them, figuring them out, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of value in that. Like Adam Jones is really, really at home at Camden Yard. Mike Trout is really at home um, over there. So there's there's huge value there. So we really what we're trying to get to is our our catch probability number on this was quite high, you know, and we know that we don't account for walls uh, at all yet. So that's going to change. But it really comes down to you know is this is this just about the opportunity or the skill? So. The question to you is, if you see that exact same kind of batted ball, the high hang time, six seconds, it comes down just over a relatively short wall like that, how many of you know regular center fielders do you think make that play? You know, again, um, looked really good. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> it style looked really points, good. <laughs> it looked really good, but there are no – yes, exactly. In your world, there are no style points. Um, look, another way that that play could have been made um, – you know, it's a really good one. Um, if you saw the play that the uh, center fielder from uh, Puerto Rico made last night where he ran back to the wall, wasn't really sure. You could tell that he wasn't really sure where it is. And this is natural, man. When you're running for these balls, your, your head is bouncing, which is your camera. The ball is moving to you. Um, and so he gets back to the wall and he jumps and, you know, he didn't really need to jump, but he didn't quite know where he was. You have to remember, this is a very like improvisational thing. So, Adam Jones in those few seconds that he had, he was timing it, you know, and that's what, you know, Tory Hunter got really, really good at that. Other guys did different things. For me, I was always running full bore. So I probably would have tried to make that play differently. I would have been running toward the fence. I probably would have got there, slowed down and done like a small, a small jump. 
that's not necessarily better. It's just like what I might have done. There might have been other guys who who ran. Their head was shaking so much that they just thought like it was gone and they just played it, you know, tried to play it off the wall. Um, and if they're not playing that deep, it wouldn't have looked weird. Um, you know, if you saw the game, the, the play last night that Jerickson Profar didn't make, um, you know, it was that was on a fine line there. I think that baseball people and people on the field know he should have made that play. But if you're watching at home, I think a lot of people are just like, oh, you know, that just he couldn't catch that. No, probably could have caught that. But it didn't, you know, really, really seem that way. And in the outfield, a lot of times your mistakes are like that. They're not really seen or you're not really penalized for them. But, like, you know, you don't know quite where you are and you don't make the effort to catch the ball, like, you know, a foot away from the, from the wall because you, you know, your head's shaking too much. You don't know where, where it is. You kind of misplay it. You're not going to get an error. Nobody's really going to know. Nobody's really going to say anything to you. Maybe this is the thing that your outfield coach says to you after the game, not a, like, in-game thing. You know what I mean? So, you know, that play is made different in a lot of ways. He, his style, at, you know, playing a deep center field, he times them. And most of those guys time them. They kind of like, they kind of like, you know, slowly run back there and, and do it. It's such a hard play to make. There are some guys that just never, ever are able to do it. And once you figure out a way to do it and you have a way, just do it that way. And that's the way that, that he does it. I think that we're looking at, you know, I think the data right now, it's sort of like making us think that that, um, you know, that it's that it's easy. And it is in a sense. It's a very, very difficult play. He made it in a way that that um, that was like just sort of his style. Um, again, you know, um, what's uh, the, the man, uh, the, the best center fielder that with the, the Phillies, um, Ben Revere, right? Ben Revere, he would have sprinted over there. Um, and he would have like jumped straight up in the air and and caught it. It would have just looked differently, you know. Everybody makes it a little different. All right, fair enough. I think we've we've learned a lot, and that's really kind of the point. Is we actually didn't want you to come on and say, yeah, no, the data's perfect, everything's perfect about it, because we really do need to get uh, opinions from those who have actually played the game. So Fernando Perez, thanks very much. Follow Fernando at i Fernando Perez three. Uh, he writes for Vice. He's all around the internet, and uh, he might be on us again this year, working with MLB.com. Thank you, Fernando, very much. Bye, friends. Well, Matt, I'm really glad we did that. We had Ryan Spielberg's on, we had Fernando Perez on, two actual outfielders who have done actual cool things that neither of us will ever do, and that, that's great. I learned something from these guys, and I like that a lot. Yeah, for sure. And I think Fernando's um, last point about kind of how Adam Jones was able to make the catch in a really pretty style kind of added to it, and how different outfielders might have made... You know, I think Fernando's point is kind of like a lot of guys would have made the catch, but maybe they wouldn't have made it as as beautifully as, as Adam... style points. We're back <laughs> to style has, points. He definitely had some style points, and, you know... You know, I think for me, this whole thing, this conversation comes back to is like, you know, we get a lot, a lot of feedback we're getting about catch probability is like, well, if the, if, if the number doesn't tell us what we want it to, it almost disproves the metric. And I think that people are kind of looking at it the wrong way. I think that, you know, the metric is just another tool that we're trying to use to tell stories. And sometimes it may not match up with the eyes are telling us, but that doesn't mean the eyes are lying to us. It doesn't mean a cool thing didn't happen. You know, like, you know, Joe Posdansky ranked his, the top 10 out the home run robbing catches of all time. And Adam Jones is on the list. Um, Gary Matthews Jr., which both of our guests brought up, was on the list. I think that was number two. I think Jones was at eight or nine. But another catch on the list was Glenn Braggs from, like, the 1990 NLCS, where he robbed Carmelo Martinez. And it was the kind of play that Perez was talking about where he just got back to the wall, he was waiting for it, and he jumped up back at Old Riverfront Stadium, he caught it. And it wasn't, like, an amazing catch by any, by, like, what you think of. But the situation, it was, you know, the ninth inning of game six of the NLCS. He robbed the home run. 
it was an exciting moment. And even in the non-catch category, I think that sometimes things happen in baseball games that are awesome, even if they're not that necessarily impressive. You know, like Giancarlo Stanton's home run the other night, the 117 miles per hour, that was impressive because it's, you know, one of the hardest hit home runs we've literally ever seen. But, you know, when Derek Jeter hit that walk-off home run, Mr. November, it was literally the cheapest home run you've ever, it was like 315 feet, but it didn't mean it wasn't amazing. It's still a home run. It's still awesome. It's just awesome for maybe different reasons other than pure physical amazement. So we've just invented a future version of catch probability, which is like wind, WPA catch probability, right? Because I remember last year, probably the coolest looking catch that I saw all last year was when uh, Dyson robbed, I think it was Christian Yelich yes. in Miami. It was amazing. Went straight back, kind of did this little hop, put his glove over the wall. It was also the first inning of a scoreless Royals-Marlins game. Like, it didn't really have that much importance outside of how cool it looked. And I think that's the, that it's the polar opposite of this catch, because as great as it was, it had everything in its favor, very, yeah, you know, it, narratively. It, exactly. I think that, you know, and again, this isn't mean to diminish the catch at no, all. No, not at all. It was think, a great like, catch. I think if that catch was made in the fourth inning in May of a Padres game, Padres-Orioles game, Jones made the same catch in San Diego. I have no idea if they're actually playing in May in San Diego. You like, basically described last year because they did play, and Melvin Upton did make a great catch in almost the same spot, and nobody outside of us really made a big deal out of it because that, that literally happened. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of the, the point. I mean, it was an amazing it – it is definitely to this point the most iconic moment in WBC history, and unless something happens in, in the next two nights – it will almost certainly remain that way until the next World Baseball Classic. Well, we, we will see Seth Lugo pitching in the finals for Puerto Rico, so anything can happen. Uh, that's our show. Thank you to our guest, Ryan Spielborgs, Fernando Perez. A uh, really fun show. Learned a lot from these two guys. I'm Mike Petriello, Matt Myers over here. This is the MLB.com StatCast podcast. Mm-hmm.